Hello, I'm Sherry House, a missionary living in Thailand who loves to study the lives of great women of whom it can be said she hath done what she could. Welcome to Silhouettes, my weekly story about a lady whose life challenges, encourages, and teaches me. I hope as you listen today, your heart will be encouraged and challenged too to do what you can for the Lord. So grab a cup of tea, sit back and enjoy. Let me tell you her story. Josephine Yvonne Johnson was born on May 7, 1932, in La Junta, Colorado. She was the only daughter of six children born to her parents, Orville and Alberta. Both of her grandfathers had been born in slavery and had moved west seeking freedom and opportunity. Joe was raised in a Christian home where the scriptures were read every day and her family faithfully attended Mount Zion Baptist Church. After finishing college in 1954, Joe took a position teaching inner-city children in Denver. She met an elderly missionary who she had regular Bible studies with for two years. Joe's desire to learn the scriptures in a deeper way and her desire to serve in missions led to her decision to attend Moody Bible Institute. Joe persevered through many struggles, not the least of which was prejudices against her because of the color of her skin. Once again, her missionary mentor played a large role in her life when she counseled Joe to move forward in response to God's will and not man's. Armed with her decision to not be deterred, Joe continued on in her pursuit of God's will for her life. She began playing the piano for a Filipino church service held at the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago as part of her ministry outreach. It was there she met a young Filipino man named Gaspar McHill, who had recently graduated from Moody. In time, their love for each other was only surpassed by their love for the Lord and for serving Him. The two were married in June of 1959. The newlyweds decided to attend the Summer Institute of Linguistics School in North Dakota, and by summer's end, they had applied to the Wycliffe Bible Translators Ministry. Both Joe and her husband desired to be used of God to bring the gospel to people who did not yet have a Bible in their native tongue. They were accepted and assigned to be Bible translators. Within that first year, Joe and her husband attended a jungle training camp in Mexico, and their first son, Thomas, was born. The following year, their daughter, Carol, was born. In March of 1962, when Joe was just 29 years old, they accepted an assignment to go to Vietnam. They immediately began learning the language and culture. They set up a house in the town of Dran and began to get acclimated to the people, geography, and climate. A few months after their arrival, a set of twin girls, Janie and Jessie, were added to their family. In early 1963, Joe and her family traveled to Saigon to get their twins' birth certificates, to have some medical checkups, and to make a decision about which people group they would be translating a Bible for. It was decided that Southern Raglai, a Malayo-Polynesian language spoken by a people group of about 40,000, would be their focus for their first translation work. On March 4, 1963, Joe and her family, along with co-workers Elwood and Vernell Jacobson, began the six-hour journey back to their home in Dran from Saigon. They were about 66 miles north of town, traveling on a main highway that was considered safe. They came up to some stopped cars at what they assumed was a government checkpoint. They gladly handed the armed men their identification cards and spoke kindly with them. When they were asked to get out of their vehicle and the armed men began looting it, they realized that these were not government soldiers, but were Viet Cong, communist guerrillas. 
Soon gunfire was heard. The warning shots came from a government army truck up the road. The Viet Cong retreated into the forest, but not before firing upon the innocent bystanders. The husband of their co-workers took a bullet to the head and died instantly. Joe's husband, who was holding their son and one of their twins, was hit several times in the chest and neck and fell down dead. Both children in his arms were also hit by the spray of bullets. Thomas's leg was shattered, but he survived his injuries. Little Janie, though, died a few hours after the attack. In the face of this great tragedy and unbelievable loss, Joe acted according to what she read in Luke 9:62, and Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Despite the trauma and being on her own, Joe decided to continue in her commitment to serve God in the Bible translation work. She requested to be transferred to the Wycliffe headquarters in the Philippines so that she and her children could be near her in-laws. Her request was granted. While she lived in the Philippines, Joe not only worked with translation projects, but she also set up a preschool for missionary children and participated in medical outreaches with remote Filipino tribes. In 1972, nearly 10 years after losing her husband, Joe went on a furlough and took the time to earn her bachelor's degree in elementary education. During this time, she worked in the Denver school system as an ESL teacher, giving her the opportunity to work with many Southeast Asian children who had recently immigrated to the United States. In 1976, Joe was reassigned and became the director of the Early Childhood Program at Wycliffe's Dallas Training School in Texas. She also served as an international administrative associate for the preschool education programs. In 1980, Joe was asked by the mission to take on the responsibility of ethnic minority recruitment with a special emphasis on African-American communities. One young lady she mentored, who eventually became a Bible translator herself, said of Joe, She encouraged me to never lose sight of the fact the Lord called me to him first, not to my race or culture, and my service was for building up his kingdom. Joe mentored many people over the years, and this push for a spiritual focus above everything else is what many credit as the reason for them continuing on in ministry, even in the face of prejudices and great trials. Many years later, in 1989, Joe accepted a three-year assignment as a literacy specialist on a translation team who were working with Gullacy Island Creole, a language spoken by former slaves living off the coast of South Carolina. After that, Joe worked as an assistant in the social linguistics department, as a cross-cultural trainer, and as an international student coordinator at the Graduate Institute of Applied Linguistics. She did this until June 2002, when she finally retired after 42 years of faithful mission service. On April 25, 2003, Joe passed away at the age of 71. She kept her hand to the plow her whole life and never looked back. Only time will tell the souls that were saved by reading the truths of God's love and sacrifice for them in their native tongue because of her translation work and because of the translation work of the many she encouraged into the ministry. Well, you can find out more about Josephine on my website, sherryhouse.com. But let me tell you one more story from her life that resonated with one of my own. Josephine's family had a great Christian heritage. Missions work and reaching out to others were values taught by example in her family and handed down from one generation to the next. One of her great-grandfathers had been a preacher who planted 13 churches in Kansas. Her father had a heart for the Navajo Nation and would often visit the American Indian encampment near their town and bring them food and water and minister to them as he could. One of Joe's life's goals was to follow the commandment given in 1 Corinthians 14.1, where it says, Follow after charity. Wherever she went, whatever she did, whoever she met, 
Josephine sought to make showing them Christ's love her main goal. Many people testified that it was her sweet, loving spirit that ministered to them the most and encouraged them in the work of the Lord. One person said the character of Christ was evident in Joe's life. Being with her was like being with Jesus. Although every Christian is called to shine the light of Christ's love wherever they are, missionaries, especially those living in third world countries, tend to be presented with an abundance of opportunities in this area. I have often thanked the Lord for the awesome privilege to physically stand in His place, especially in a land where so few have heard of Him or know anything of His love. Here in Thailand, I often get asked this question, Why? Why do you teach children for so cheap? Why do you want to learn our language? Why are you willing to pick up my child for school or church without getting paid? Why do you visit the people in my neighborhood every week and bring the kids apples? Why don't you charge for the meals after your church services? Why do you open your home to so many people? On a weekly basis, I get asked one of these questions or something similar to them. Once, a lady found out that I had helped to purchase new school uniforms for a couple girls who were attending our church. I had also taken them on a small sightseeing trip to visit the Summer Palace at the sea not far from my home and let them spend the night at my house. She looked at me skeptically and asked, Why do you help those two orphan girls? This lady couldn't comprehend what my motive could possibly be. You see, for the most part, foreigners, or farang as they call us, who come to live in Thailand often fall within one of these three categories. People looking for pleasure, that is readily available here. People looking to escape their past or start over. Or people looking to build a business and make a profit. I don't fit into their concept of a farang, and so they are skeptical of my motives. To answer these questions, I most often say something about wanting to be a help to anyone I can. And after a bit of thought and looking at me somewhat sideways, they usually say these words, Mmm, daidi, which means good heart. It is then that I have the opportunity to tell them that, no, it is not that I have a good heart, but that God does. He is not the aloof being that they pray to in fear and think doesn't hear them or understand their life or situation. He loves them and wants to have a close relationship with them, and he sent me here to Thailand to tell them about him and to show them his love. What a joy it is to see them mull that thought over in their minds and then readily open their hearts to hear what else I might have to tell them about God and his love for them. Today I want to do a small Bible study with you I've entitled A Visible Representation. I'm not sure if I first heard the statement, we are to be a visible representation of an invisible God, in a sermon somewhere, or if it is just something that the Lord impressed upon me during my personal devotions. But it is a thought that has long been lodged in my mind and heart and has become somewhat of a creed or mantra for my life. My life is supposed to be a reflection of Jesus, and with my life I am supposed to show others what he is all about. During Jesus' three years of earthly ministry, his goal was to show his Father's love, to preach the gospel, to heal the hurt and broken, and to offer hope. When we look at the life of Jesus and how he lived his life on earth, and knowing that we are supposed to emulate that, we see several things. Number one, he was a friend to sinners. Mark 2, 15-18 tells us of when he shared a meal with publicans, much to the distress of the Pharisees. Number two, in John 4, we see the story of the woman at the well, and it shows us that even when Jesus was weary, he made time for others and was concerned about their eternal souls. 
Number three, Jesus cared for the least in society, like the children that were brought to him in Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15, or the outcasts like the lepers that we find in Luke 17, 11 to 14. Number four, John 11, 33 to 35, shows us that Jesus had compassion and wept along with those that wept. Number five, in Luke 23, 34, we read, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we realize that Jesus had grace even for his enemies. And number six, we see that Jesus loved unconditionally. John 13, verses 34 and 35, we see the words, That ye love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. I love that song that's entitled, Do They See Jesus in Me? It's a good one for me to sing to myself, especially when I'm trying to remind myself what my goal is. The lyrics to the song say, Is the face that I see in the mirror the one I want others to see? Do I show in the way that I walk in my life the love that you've given to me? My heart's desire is to be like you in all that I do, all that I am. And then the chorus says, Do they see Jesus in me? Do they recognize your face? Do I communicate your love and your grace? Do I reflect who you are in the way I choose to be? Do they see Jesus in me? The second verse says, Well, it's amazing that you'd ever use me, but use me the way that you will. Help me to hold out a heart of compassion and grace, a heart that your spirit fills. May I show forgiveness and mercy the same way you've shown it to me. Do they see Jesus in me? Do they recognize your face? Do I communicate your love and your grace? Do I reflect who you are in the way I choose to be? Do they see Jesus in me? Let me ask you today, what is your life's goal? What do you want people to say about you when your time on earth has come to an end? How amazing would it be if it could be said of you as it was said of Josephine, being with her was like being with Jesus. The older I get, the more I realize I have just a limited amount of time to do what really matters for eternity. Remind yourself today that God has called you to be his representative while you are here on this earth. Try to act and do and love as Jesus would if he were here. Remember, you are to be a visible representation of an invisible God. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's silhouette and learning a little bit more about Josephine McKill and this matter of representing Jesus and his love to a lost and dying world. She is truly a woman of whom it could be said, she hath done what she could. Let's you and I go do what we can do. Silhouettes with Sherry is written and told by missionary Sherry House. To learn more about Sherry, this story, or other stories about women who were used of God, read Sherry's blog at sherryhouse.com. That's S-H-A-R-I house.com. Silhouettes can be heard at this time every week on this station. Silhouettes is a Causeway Media and Faith Music Radio production.